0: Hey everybody, welcome to X-Wingin' It, a new podcast about going through the history of Star Wars video games and uh, everything that that comes along with that. Uh, I'm Brock Wilbur, uh, and uh, with me is your other host, Alex Kane. Uh, we are two guys that uh, were talking about how there isn't a lot of coverage of the amazing universe that is Star Wars video games and how some of them are really goddamn good and have some of them are really goddamn bad. Uh, We were talking about doing a book about it. Uh, Alex actually has a book on Knights of the old Republic. That's coming out soon through boss fight books. So this is uh, also a show that just exists as promotion for him. (laughs) Uh, And uh, we, uh, we were talking about this stuff and we're like, what if we did like a monthly podcast? We'll just do a random game every month. We'll try and get some guests on here with you and look at stuff. Uh, My line in here is that I grew up playing all the star Wars games and didn't see the movies until like way too late like middle school so my understanding of the Star Wars universe is very uh different uh or at least my my basis there but also like I loved so much of it like uh Rebel Assault uh is the first game I played with a joystick and Dark Forces is the very first game I ever like modded or like made maps for and stuff um and and like there's so many other bad ones in the middle uh and so we were like let's let's talk about these let's talk about their effects on the star wars universe alex writes at starwars.com and knows this shit really well i do not but i i do i like most star wars things uh but he is an encyclopedia so there is a (laughs) there is a lot of fun to be had here and we both obviously love video games we're both video game writers so uh we have a lot to sink into here and a lot of things that we think will be fun, and we hope you guys will come along for the ride with that. It should be a
1: very low-commitment thing from you. Alex, can you tell people more about who you are? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a journalist as well. Um, you know, I sort of started off writing for Kill Screen a couple years ago and then uh, wrote for Glixel, which was Rolling Stone's vertical Um that sort of transitioned into being uh, variety gaming now, um, and uh, I wanted to quickly, say that it sounds like you have this like
0: very terrible history. It sounds like you have this terrible history in video games journalism with like some of these publications and and the 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 shit that has been around them. But uh, as I think about it, that is the history of video games journalism. Like no one has any good experiences anymore. Everything is a place that is shut down in a bad way or has. <laughs> Uh, gone through a lot of like horrible layoffs and stuff. So congrats on on surviving yeah. in this industry. You had
1: that with Zam more recently, right? And it's like uh, you know you just have to kind of roll with it, I guess, and and pray that you land somewhere, right? But uh, you know, StarWars.com has been a really good place to kind of uh, vent about you know my Star Wars thoughts. Uh, you know, in a forum that's not. Twitter, right? <laughs>
0: um, you you think that there's a good chance that StarWars.com isn't going to pivot to video and lay off its staff?
1: Oh, you know, I like. I mean, they've already done so many uh, like different things with with uh, shows. You know, there's the Star Wars show, and now they've got their sort of um, Star Wars stories uh, reality TV, you know, like web series that, that sort of focuses on fans and things like that. Um, so, I mean, they've already sort of begun doing that, but they've, they've also ramped up blog production, I think. So, you know, fingers crossed. (laughs) Uh,
0: so what kind of stuff do you, what, what kind of stuff do you write about in, in the star Wars world? What is your, your sort of beat? What sort of things do you find fascinating to cover? Well,
1: so I've sort of fallen into doing this kind of thing, which is, uh, you know, uh, Dan Brooks at Lucasfilm, you know, tends to like the way I write about the games. And so he'll he'll tap me to do like like I'm doing a column called replaying the classics right now, which is sort of a very short form uh, blog column that's in this vein where, you know, I, I look at some older game or maybe not so old game, but, you know, something that someone might. Call a classic because it's older than like the Disney acquisition, and you know, try to try to pinpoint what it does for fans, and also, uh, you know, whether it's innovative as a as a game design, you know, idea. And uh, sometimes that's easy to do, and sometimes it's a little more difficult depending on my personal biases, right? Like, uh, you know, everybody loves the Lego Star Wars games, and and I like have a huge appreciation for them. Do they?
0: i don't does, know does everybody love them
1: i don't know i i man i i it's so like i love legos and i love star wars and i pick up those games and uh it's just really hard to find the i don't know the like i, I guess they're for children and i just sort of missed the boat by a few years because they were coming out when i was like in high school so yeah i just kind of have to um you know, <laughs> see them with a the child's eyes and say, like, of course, this would be amazing to do a couch co-op thing with a parent and kind of, you know, appreciate them in that way. Uh, the puzzles are cute. The The I, Lego figures. I, I, I kind of thought
0: that would be the case. And my wife, is, my wife is a much bigger Star Wars fan than I am. And I we did sit down and, and we it wasn't Lego Star Wars. It was Lego Jurassic Park. But we tried to do the co-op thing. And I was like, this will be really fun. And just in the overworld map, just walking around, she's like, I do not get or enjoy anything about what this is. And I was like, well, there's puzzles here and they don't make sense. And she's like, no, none of that sounds good either. Uh, <laughs> Lego, Lego game puzzles are, are a very specific breed of thing that doesn't, uh, doesn't make any sense. But it, it, like, because if, if you've never played them before, the Lego uh, games mostly uh, adapt other IPs into Lego format and, and retell those stories like Indiana Jones or something and overwhelmingly don't have dialogue in them. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of retelling things with sounds and, and exciting, just action, which is its own. It's, it's, it's its own thing we'll get into in its episode. But like the, the logic of the puzzles behind things is sometimes like, I don't know, you got to find eight blocks that are maybe the same color and stack them in this way. And there's not going to be any clues to help you along that, that journey.
1: Yeah. They're, they're really charming to look at and to hear the music and the sound effects and the, you know, the little figurines that, you know, I remember from being, you know, nine years old and playing with them or whatever, but man, right. yeah, they're not my thing. That's for sure. Um, so I had to just kind of, you know, um, it, but it's fun to pick up this stuff and, and especially, you know, even go further back and, and look at things like Shadows of the Empire that we're looking at here and and think, you know, um, you know, how does this hold up from a modern perspective? But also, you know, what was cool about it then? Right. Like, um, Right. And and how does it fit into the larger story of the uh, the expanded universe, which is, of course, this big clusterfuck of storytelling over many, many years that's now kind of um just this scrapped, you know, Lego kit, if you will, that you know, new storytellers can play with those pieces in new canon stories. Um, uh-huh. But of course, yeah, the uh, that is where I wanted to start today,
0: and 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 he's hit it, he's he's nailed it. We're going to be talking about uh, Star Wars: Shadow of the Empire, which we agreed is absolutely our place to start, and we'll get into why. But the first thing here to get out of the way is that, and and correct me if I'm wrong about this, as soon as the Disney acquisition sort of happened. Everything minus, like, uh, the movies and a couple of other uh, Star Wars properties were nuked as part of, like, the 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 lore of this universe, which was uh, kind of devastating because there was, like, a whole team at LucasArts that for years it had been their job to maintain this library of lore and make sure that everything worked out and, like, their universe just got blown up. And, and almost everything that we'll be discussing on this show is, as you've mentioned before the Disney acquisition. So there's just a lot of incredible stories here that people were always like, I want to see that goddamn movie. And now (laughs) they don't exist. Right. That's how this panned out.
1: Yeah. So long story short, um, you know, Lucasfilm now has a story group. That's like a unified effort to, keep things sort of very like the marvel universe or the you know dc universe um you know like a a brain trust of people who really know their shit and want to keep everything consistent uh, as much as possible Uh, back in the old days it was all kind of tied in a story group didn't exist but what you had was you had the lucas licensing department at lucasfilm and those people would uh, you know, do their damnedest to to keep everything kind of cataloged and and have some semblance of consistency. Um, and 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 those people, you know, would change over time, right? Because it lasted for decades and decades. So, so you'd have things like the Marvel newspaper comics or whatever, um, you know, where it gives like Luke Skywalker's parents names and there's something completely different, but you know uh, (laughs) but maybe the villain in that story is going to show up in some novel, you know, years later in like 2008 or whatever. And, you know, they just rolled with it. Um, They did their best and uh, you know, nobody could ever quite agree on anything, but uh, George Lucas himself you know, he always treated that stuff like like action figures, kind of ephemeral. You know, it was it was merchandising, like the novels, everything like to him. The films were the canon and then the Clone Wars TV series that began like 2008. That was canon. And then everything else, you know, he he was appreciative of it. And he, he certainly leaned into it when he had the opportunity to kind of like uh, milk it, you know, a little bit and say, ah. <laughs> you know, uh, pay homage to like characters from the EU uh, as it was called then. And it's called like legends now. Um, but yeah, uh, he never really considered it to be his canon. And of course, uh, right up until the Disney acquisition, he did have a lot of say in the way things were developing. You know, he was involved in the, the early talks of like the force awakens being a, you know, there being an episode seven and a Han Solo spinoff and things like that. And so, yeah, when the acquisition happened, uh, Pretty quickly, you know, you saw them tapping the brakes on a lot of the tie-in stuff and the video games really died down for, you know, a couple years. Um, and then I'm, I'm sure some of our better episodes of,
0: of this show will probably, or maybe we'll condense them into one, is just uh, the goddamn incredible games that were in the middle of being made or almost finished uh, at the time of this that just got nuked, uh, including something called 1313 that just would have been everything i wanted
1: from a star wars game i'm pretty sure <laughs> yes yeah and george lucas you know he had input into that and it, you know it's sort of ironic that once once he sort of saw the potential in it and began having input in it he sort of you know inadvertently killed it and there's sort of a a tradition throughout the history <laughs> right of uh, of him coming in and he'll have one piece of input um that is of course like you know they have to follow it, you know. He's the he's like the the president of the company back then. So uh, he's
0: the president of Star Wars. What a fun position! Yeah, yeah.
1: The the emperor, right? Uh, and uh, you know, he he always met well, um, clearly, but he but he didn't necessarily know a whole lot about game development, and so. Uh, the, the impression that I get from reading various, you know, behind-the-scenes stories is he would walk into a room, you know, offer his little uh, two cents and just totally just destroy, like, everything that they had built, uh, which is kind of funny to read about. But, of course, you can imagine just the the horror of, of uh, you know, working there when something like that happens. I mean, that's also even less of a game development thing
0: and and sort of george lucas versus the ability to tell stories (laughs) the movie people have those same issues I, i i will i am a i am a the the thing that i like about george lucas is that so much of film preservation right now would not exist without him he has almost single handedly made this happen and i think that that is what we will remember him for much more than his work in star wars uh I, I, I overwhelmingly do not find him an interesting or talented individual. But without him, none of this is here. Uh, and so that's a I think I will overwhelmingly be the pessimist about most things we talk about on this show. And you will uh, be the one that that is the defender of things where we're, the, the, there's some very clear lines uh, drawn here. Uh, so uh, let's now that we've acknowledged like this is the universe that we're dealing with. And one of the things that that comes with uh, some of these games that we're going to be talking about is that sometimes uh, these games had stories that were just so goddamn good, and uh, you put them up against some of the movies that came out around the same times as them, and and people were like, "Well, this thing is so much better. Why didn't we make this thing?" Uh, and then uh, you know it gets expanded into its own like comic books and things like that. And uh, I I think for me personally, the one that that just knocks this out of the park and i th- i think this is why we started it here is uh, shadows of the empire which is a game that came out on the nintendo 64 uh and it was released not to tie into a movie which is something that star wars had not really done uh in in that way in a long time uh and it was released to make things exciting for the re-release of the special editions of the movie to get people excited about the ip again uh, and it is a game that takes some chances and does, uh, some things. And, uh, it is one of those things that, uh, I, in watching solo, uh, I just kept pointing to various like set pieces from it and some characters and stuff and being like, I, I think they're just taking this wholesale. They're taking large sections of this. And I am fine with that. Cause I, I was, as a kid, I was like, I, where's, where's this movie? Cause this, this is good. Uh, Alex, do you want to explain this game, where it is, and what, it's, what the story is?
1: Uh, okay, yeah. So, so the comics omnibus that, that kind of collects the, the six volumes of the original Shadows of the Empire comic and then kind of the sequel comic, um, which I haven't read the sequel comic, but it says, As the war for the galaxy peaks, Luke Skywalker and the Rebel Alliance fight not only Darth Vader and the Emperor, but also members of the vast criminal underworld that hide in the shadows of the Empire and resist the Rebels' attempts to restore peace. Uh, and it introduces, so, you know, George Lucas, like I said, he would always walk in to the room and see what, what they're pitching, you know, what they're working on. He would have like one little dictum that he would throw out there and they had to adhere to whatever he said. And basically he walked in and said, oh, you know, cool. Um, you know, make the godfather of the Star Wars universe, you know, whatever you do, just explore the underworld of organized crime. And, uh, so that is not a bad note. That is not a bad note at all. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and of course, like, you know, that's something that he wanted to do later. He spent many years, uh, in pre-production on a TV show that was codenamed Star Wars Underworld, you know, and, uh, it was clearly something he felt passionate about. You know, he was an admirer of Coppola's. I think they were, you know, friends and collaborators and, uh, yeah. And basically they wanted to tell the story that, you know, took place between Empire and Jedi episodes five and six and which,
0: which until this came out, uh, nothing in any of the novels or any of the other extended universe had really touched this time period is what I was is what I understand. Is there am I wrong about that?
1: Yeah, I would say most of the, the old, like the really old school Marvel comics and things uh, really dwelled on immediately after like A New Hope or after Return of the Jedi eventually, um, you know, in the novels. Which
0: things. this is kind of a weird thing to uh, to get into this area because it is I mean, there there's obviously so much story that happened, but it does like pick up right where second goes into third and ostensibly there's a passage of time but everyone literally a character is frozen in carbonite so like nothing can really happen so I understand why people weren't exactly plumbing the narrative depths of this time period
1: yeah right yeah and and it was like there were questions um, you know in the Empire Strikes Back Vader knows that Luke is his son uh, we don't really see a lot of the how these things come to be we just understand that Vader has no idea who Luke is in A New Hope. And then in Empire, he's clearly playing like sort of a mental cat and mouse with the Emperor to try to, um, you know, get Luke to, to join them on the dark side and, and be, you know, maybe the one who helps him overthrow the Emperor. You know, that's all there on the screen in the Empire Strikes Back. Um, and then in Return of the Jedi and in Shadows of the Empire, there's sort of this thread of, um, you know, Vader like everybody in the galaxy knows that Luke Skywalker is Darth Vader's son. All of a sudden, anybody who kind of matters, (laughs) you know, the, the criminal underworld, you know, the empire, they suddenly, a lot of these, uh, movers and shakers know that Skywalker is Vader's son. And, and so there's, there's a messiness there and shadows. of The empire I think was partly designed to kind of tease some of that out and, and set some of that into stone. So fans had something to go on.
0: I mean, ostensibly in a new hope, almost everyone that knew who Luke was did also know that he was Vader's son and just didn't tell him.
1: Yeah. Well, it's messy. Like, um, obi right. One certainly <laughs> did. Um, you know, uncle Owen and aunt Beru, I think they just knew that, uh, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi was like this, uh, you know, war hero, you know, that wizard's just a crazy old man. Owen says, I don't know that, uh, Obi-Wan told them much because, you know, in revenge of the Sith, he just sort of shows up on, uh, you know, sort of horseback in the, in the space sense and then gives him this little baby and, uh, and then he's off. Right. But, but they know that it, they know that he's Anakin's son, surely because, uh, you know, um, they, so uh, Br- Owen was the son of the guy who married Darth Vader's mother. Uh, so it's it's all very messy and kind of got teased out in the prequel trilogy um, but this this sort of predates that of course so so there's a lot of things that are left for fans to kind of piece together right It's a, a bit of a jigsaw puzzle right And uh, you know nobody really knows that uh, Vader is you know, this Clone Wars hero, Anakin Skywalker, is my impression, other than, you know, the <laughs> Emperor, but uh, but again, all that history wasn't really there, so you mentioned that, like, the Empire Strikes Back to Return of the Jedi timeline was kind of fertile, unexplored ground um, when this game came out, and right. uh, that's, that's equally true of, like, the prequel trilogy stuff, the, uh, you know, they'd explored, like, the ancient Jedi and Sith, but they hadn't dug into things like the Clone Wars because I think Lucas always kind of knew in the back of his head that he might want to do one, two and three, you know, you know, (laughs) uh, so yeah, that was always like with Lucas licensing. I think that was one of the sort of rules or unwritten rules was that, you know, you don't touch the Clone Wars era. That's kind of, uh, and, and eventually they did sort of touch on it in some later stuff and they did a really, uh, weird job of it. And uh, Lucas just disregarded all that when he told his stories. So uh,
0: so this gets us back to the game, uh, Star Wars Shadow of the Empire, which comes out uh, just before Christmas 1996. Uh, one of the biggest selling Nintendo 64 games of all time. Um, and this tries to tell the story uh, of... Of a very Han Solo guy who literally flies like the same ship as the Millennium Falcon. Uh and uh and his adventures in trying to help out Luke and Leia. But also along the way, Leia gets uh uh kidnapped in the very like, oh now she's a princess from a video game sort of uh poor writing thing, which is one of the the only real missteps here uh in a game that also I mean it's a video game and it's it's a video game of its time period. There's collectibles that are just hidden in weird corners of the maps but it's it's also got like you know there's sewer levels and there's warehouse levels and there's a train level and it's it's all like sort of the same locations that you would find in any other video game and then there's hoth uh so there's there's moments of 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 real real innovation and then moments of of touching on stuff and then there's other just uh this is here because we had to make a video game stuff uh and it is it is a wild confluence of of ideas uh, both good and bad or at least uh, traditional versus interesting. Uh, do you want to, do you want to explain the four act story
1: of, of what happens with dash Rendar, a real name? Oh, wow. Yeah. So dash dash is kind of just like a vessel for the player. You know, he's sort of like the, uh, what is it? Paul? No. Uh, yeah. Paul Atreides and Dune or whatever, you know, if you look at like those classic sci-fi stories, Um, you know, all the heroes are kind of like Luke Skywalker and the first, you know, in a new hope or, or even less so developed, you know, they're just sort of like a vessel for the player to get through the game. And, uh, but they sort of gave him this sort of Clint Eastwood, Chuck Norris, you know, Kmart Han Solo thing where he was a smuggler who worked with Lando and Han in the past. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, he's sort of there with the rebellion at Hoth, um, in the comic adaptation, he just kind of shows up and Leia's like, why are we trusting this guy again, Lando? And Lando's like, oh, you know, he's he's not so bad. You know, we worked with him in the past. And uh, they, they kind of skirt around the the messy business of, like, where did this Dash Rendar guy come from and, like, why the hell do we need him? But, uh, you know, he's, he's there to sort of um, protect Luke Skywalker from you know the the same people that that took on right like uh you know boba fett and all these bounty hunters that that vader is employing and now um in shadows of the empire you have this guy prince shizor who is the leader of the black sun criminal underworld um organization basically you know don corleone and in, in star wars uh with a real like uh, you know date rape vibe to him that that's uh, unfortunate and you know he's got like these reptile pheromones that he he can uh, seduce women and um he has like a replicant assistant he's sort of like a, a like a real nasty like Blade Runner villain um, you know but he looks cool you know he's very he's very much a 90s muscular green villain that you know you expect to see in these kinds of things like uh he looks like he might be from the ninja turtles or something um he he does
0: it's weird that there's like a ninja turtle sidekick to what is ostensibly the purple man from jessica
1: jones oh okay yeah yeah they a yeah, good point yeah he is very very much like the jessica jones villain you know it's like um you know in the me too era the story of shadows of the empire uh is uh like just glaringly icky and uh uncomfortable to read like the novel and I, I wouldn't recommend the novel for sure i read that in high school and like the first time i ever went to a used bookstore and uh got rid of a bunch of old paperbacks i never wanted to touch again like that was you know top of the stack despite you know my love of star wars and uh you know not wanting to get rid of star See, wars stuff. i
0: haven't, i haven't thought about it in a while and I, in reading up on it i was like oh Everyone I know had this novel, including people that didn't even like Star Wars. It was just like every guy I know that played the game had this book. And I was reading up that the guy got the job in novelizing this because he novelized uh, the Aliens book and The Mask, which were both novelizations I remember reading as a kid and loving. But I have no no memory of this. So to hear that it's a gross, non acceptable thing now makes sense. I'm not going to fight that. That sounds about right.
1: Yeah. And of course, and like in the comic book, you'd expect it to be like a little more uh, palatable. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about the same, you know, Leia sort of like, why am I attracted to this guy? He must be, you know, uh, he must've put something in my tea, which, you know, uh, howdy, that is not great. (laughs) Yeah. Not great. Not great. Um, and, and thankfully, you know, we're we're talking about the game so we can appreciate the fact that none of this stuff is in the game because uh, you know, it's this, it's this multimedia event where um, you know, they sort of slice up the story into all these different shards and, and you can experience it through like the, the novel, the comic, the soundtrack, the game. And uh, each one kind of takes different like viewpoint characters as the focus. Like I remember reading the novel and there being like a lot of Lando and a lot of Leia and uh maybe some luke you know and, and also like the villains big time on the villains um and then with the comic it's more focused on uh like luke a lot of the time and and vader um things like that um yeah and so where are we okay so uh yeah so we're we're, we're in the game and the uh one of the things
0: that's worth noting about the game is first of all uh, and I forget where I read it, and I know it's real. Uh, in the development of this, they were like, we want to use the actual Star Wars music instead of trying to make, like, video game replication of this. Uh, but, like, sound files were so big, and the N64 cartridge couldn't hold the data to also have the game. So they, like, hacked the N64 cartridge and, like, built things into the copies of this game to allow the space to have about 20 minutes of the actual like orchestral film score that just sort of plays on a loop throughout the entire game, but it is the f- one of the first times in games that you have like the actual soundtrack to the thing uh, playing in the game, and it is just wildly effective. Or at least it was then. I still think it is kind of now on the replay uh, that you, whatever you're doing, you've sort of got like just the 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 cool Star Wars music underneath, uh, and and it. it It is weird because then they never really have to match it to the levels. Nothing really has to change. Uh, But it's just like, yeah, yeah, I'm in Star Wars. And this is a reminder. It places me there no matter where you are. And it doesn't really wear out its welcome. Uh, So anyway, you get into the game and the game starts up and you are on Hoth. And uh, one of the things that's really cool about this is that this game bounced seamlessly between levels where you are in the third person with the camera sort of behind your character, running around and shooting dudes and and trying to open doors and flip switches, and then there's uh, vehicle sections where you're piloting different kinds of spacecraft. And so we open on Hoth with you in a land speeder trying to uh, use your your tow line to bring down the Imperial walkers while shooting it at the AT-ATs and things. And it's just in terms of scale and stuff, like it's it's just wildly out of control and such a, a strong start. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at this game now, and it's clear that like, they they were just trying to do it all. And um, you know, I dug up some stuff about the development where you know the senior programmer Mark, like uh, Mark Hague Hutchinson, I think is his name. You know, he basically talks about you know regretting just how much variety was in the game because then inevitably like everything kind of suffered a little bit, you know, each part wasn't maybe as strong as it could be. Um, they, they had like five different game engines, like in total that they had to sort of tune over this two year, three year period. Yeah. And it, it sounds like it was just a nightmare development, you know, um, Things like the music that was like sort of a triumph for them, right? They they took the John Williams score and some original bits and uh, and, and sort of got it down to like a like a mono recording that uh, you know was sort of manageable. Um, but yeah, it. Um, so so like they they crunched like like just absolute beasts like like you know now in the news you know we're talking about Rockstar games and this sort of hyperbolic 100 hour work week well you know back in 1996 or 1995 you know LucasArts was doing that very thing uh, back then you know nothing has changed right like uh, you know in 1997 or so they did a post-mortem on this games published in Game Developer Magazine and LucasArts said, you know, uh, many members on this team, which was a tiny team, like the the teams making games for the N64 back then were, were not the, you know, 700-person development teams that you have now or where things are outsourced and things like that. But, um, you know, they had members working 100-hour 100, 100 hour work weeks for, for most of a year uh, to get this thing out the door. Uh, and you know, have it ship with all these different Why? features. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like it's unbelievable. Um, and, and somehow these guys survived it. Um, but you know, they you know nobody heeds these warnings, right? Like because we're now we're still talking about this now with games like Red Dead Redemption that uh, Red Dead Redemption Two rather the that try to do everything you know for all players and have this massive you know hundred hour playthrough time things like that. So. This is a very early example of like the blockbuster 3D uh, licensed game, right? Like it was very much a, a franchise effort that, that tried to have mass appeal. Uh, I think a lot of good Star Wars games that you see from that time period, they're very um, sort of like for a certain kind of player, you know, like Episode One Racer um, is something that people who liked racing games but not necessarily were Star Wars fans probably checked out and it was great. Um, Right. I think Shadows of the Empire is something more for like the Battlefront crowd or or for the Dark Forces crowd that, um, you know, it really tried to, take the experience of, of watching a Star Wars film or, or being in Star Wars and kind of distill it into like a video game. And uh, yeah, the sheer like colossal ambition of it, like it's just, it's really cool to look at now, um, all these years <laughs> later. Um, but yeah, to, to think about you know, all the, the hundred hour work weeks that went into designing something like as simple as the, you know, very rudimentary, like platforming sequence in, uh, on Ord Mantell with the train or the Hoth sequence, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely an important piece of history. And I I think that, you know, you've, you've said this before, but like, it, it definitely was the first time that, that a star Wars game really, really like captured the, the epic, scope right right you know you, they had the skyhook battle at the end where you you know you're flying in and you, you blow up the reactor and you know um it's just a lot of uh it's like like halo or something you know it's very much like on that that aspirational scale of like what how much can we put into this game and get away with it and have everything not fall apart um they, they had, you know, Shigeru Miyamoto, the, the creator of Mario, like he, he would offer advice to them. And, um, you know, they really tried to get everything out of the N64 that they possibly could. And you look at other games his, from that His time, advice
0: was that the game, sh- his advice was just like Lucas's. It was like, you need to explore the underworld. But he meant like literally like the, the Mario underworld <laughs> sort of thing. Oh, was it so like in terms of the, underwater? no, no, no I'm doing, I'm doing a stupid joke. No, I'm, no. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like the idea that, that, that everyone's smart and good came in and said one thing on this project and people yes. were like, all right, well, we've got to use these. It's, it's, it's our prompts for the writing here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Miyamoto said probably that, you know, everybody hates the water levels. So definitely have as much of those <laughs> as you can. Uh, and, and the jetpack should function properly underwater as well. Like that's a must. Uh, we, uh,
0: let's uh, finish off the story of of what's happening here. Uh, there, so there's a there's a four act story in the game, and the first one you're on Hoth. It's it's around Empire. Uh, it's it's everyone coming in. So you take down these giant walkers, and then you're in Hoth base, and it's just you and you're a guy, and you got a gun, uh, and you run around and you shoot a bunch of invading soldiers. And there's also uh, Wampas. Uh, walking around, that's that's what they're called, right? Yeah,
1: Wampas, basically the abominable snowman in space, and uh, and also like an ATST Walker that you fight, which is like the uh, the chicken Walker robot that uh, has like an Imperial pilot in it. And man, that and for some reason, some of the Wampas are like trapped in like brigs at some point,
0: and you can like open the doors and hope that they kill some of the stormtroopers, which I remember doing as a kid. Is like this is wholly unnecessary. I could just shoot them, but. Uh... Also big scary monster attacking those guys that's pretty cool too.
1: <laughs> it's definitely like anytime you see those things it's terrifying. Uh, I didn't realize that they just kill without prejudice like that so they'll kill the imperials that's amazing okay uh
0: yeah it, I, th- I think the first time you run into one in the game it's like in a in like a cave or like a very narrow hallway and all of a sudden this big it it has its own physics of motion that it makes it sort of like floaty and lumbering mm-hmm. uh, which nothing else in the game moves that way and I think that that's so upsetting uh, in that way that like your brain doesn't process the way that spiders move and that's why they're so scary like something about the
1: physics of those monsters is just off and then they swipe and murder you <laughs> yeah yeah they don't like have they're not huge looking on the screen the way that they might look in the movie necessarily to me but because dash is like this tall you know broad-shouldered guy in, in the third person viewpoint but uh man they, they're so hard to take down that you just you see mm-hmm. them and you know they're bad news And then you end up seeing them later uh, on other planets, I think at one point, which is, is creepy. And they, they, uh, they look more Wookiee like, right. They've got like a Brown coat (laughs) instead of the white. Right. Uh, So you, you've got that, this laser gun that, that an
0: interesting game thing about it is that it shoots and the amount of like ammo goes down real fast, but then starts to recharge. And like the more ammo that you have for it, the stronger it is. So throughout the game, That's your sort of always refilling weapon. And that's it's an interesting mechanic because you want to, like, fire at things and then run away and let it recharge for a second. And then the other things that you can find are sort of like various kinds of little rocket launchery things uh, that shoot little rockets at stuff. Uh, And it's it's very important to go search all these secret areas uh, to find this sort of stuff uh, because you wind up facing various sort of boss monsters at at different points and if you don't have anything better than your little laser gun you're just dead so there's there's an element of uh, exploration that's really encouraged here that you need to survive
1: yes i kept stumbling on the like seeker rockets and if i didn't have those when i fought boba fett and like the dianoga monster like i would have been absolutely screwed for sure um
0: so, you finish off Hoth, uh, like you, you actually go out the back of the base through uh, a thing out the back of the cave, which made me think a lot of, uh, episode eight and the, uh, cave escape out the back there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then you wind up in your ship, uh, and you go, uh, deal with stuff in, in sort of the asteroids outside of the planet and, and the um, encroaching Imperial stuff. Uh,. Which is, it's another different kind of ship thing already. So in our first three levels, we've had three different kind of game. Uh, And then this act sort of ends. And then we flash forward in time to basically the end of Empire Strikes Back, where uh, Dash is out in the world looking for uh, his buddy Han, uh, which means he needs to find Boba Fett, the bounty hunter. And so, because he can't find Boba Fett, he goes after IG-88, who is this uh, really cool murder robot assassin. uh, And uh, Boba Fett kind of shot down his ship, too. So he's on a garbage planet. Uh, And on this garbage planet, in order to get to him, you have to ride a train uh, and jump around a bunch of stuff that the train is uh, is dealing with and it is one of the most infuriating levels <laughs> in the history of games i just uh, replaying it i was like no 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 i don't like I, I i forgot how much you have to memorize like when to jump to avoid platforms or duck or shoot things that like if you're not ready to shoot them the moment they there's there's a lot about the old school style of this game that is like it is just memorization. You have no chance if you don't have this stuff memorized. Like they're, they're, you're not getting through it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way you like playing to play this game is to learn how to play this game, and, and like most retro, like more punishing retro games, you really have to just die a whole hell of a lot to get the rhythm of it down. And uh, as soon as you're on Ord Mantell, you're on this train, and it becomes like suddenly it's a platformer game, you know. Uh, but it definitely isn't. And Mario I don't know if, if you know this about
0: that time, but uh, uh, the very first time. Time that we had 3d games uh you know what they were great at was platforming <laughs> uh and so uh, a lot of the stuff in this game uh, especially in some of the later levels uh is just jumping for something and just falling wildly to your death every single time it is real hard to judge how far you are jumping in that mode
1: uh it is uh God, it is a, it is it is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, you find yourself like looking at these like forty five degree camera angles because like the N sixty four had one analog stick, and so you know back in those days, you know we when we were being introduced to the world of three D, we had to kind of like um, we would look as we moved. There was no you know like with the Xbox controller or the PlayStation DualShock controller you've got the the camera thumbstick and then the movement thumbstick and back in those days it was you had to move to move the camera but you only really have the x axis right you don't uh, you don't get to look up or, or down or even you know aim your weapon that way it kind of goes off the like doom style right where like you know you hope that your gun shoots upward at the guy who's shooting you up on the the cliff above and if it doesn't well you better just there is
0: there is no aiming there is no sort of reticule so there is a lot of this game that you it is you pull the trigger and you hope that some sort of auto assist really gets in there because
1: getting figuring out where you're shooting is
0: just goddamn impossible
1: yeah and and, you know there may be there may be a way to do it better on uh, the the pc version or you know, back with the with the 64 controller was just a weird artifact of its time that, uh, you know, I would play GoldenEye and, and figure out sort of my way to play GoldenEye. But I'm sure that there were things that, that I still to this day don't fully understand about that controller, right? You had the, like, C buttons, the yellow um, sort of, like, Right. Like a second d pad almost in button form that nobody quite understood what its purpose was. I don't know if Nintendo understood what its purpose was because they ended up like using it in Zelda to be like sort of a, an inventory, you know, uh, like favorite commands where you would just kind of, oh, like this button, you know, whips out my slingshot or something. Uh, and back in those early N64 games around launch and in the, you know, two years or so after that um, they just really did a lot of different things with controls. Um, yeah. So, so, and in shadows of the empire, I, I ultimately played the GOG, uh, PC version for this to revisit it. And, uh, you know, it, it feels pretty good today. Um, with the exception of that camera, because it just, Mm -hmm. there is so much like verticality in the game and the, you know, you have the jetpack and, uh, yeah. And, and, and on the train and on Ord Mantel, it's like, uh, you just have to, you have to pray that you're jumping to somewhere that's not going to be, you know, falling into an abyss and losing, you know, your valuable lives because, you know, if you, if you fall two or three times, I think you, you pretty much get like a game over and you have to start the whole mission over again, regardless of your checkpoint. Right.
0: Yeah. And you, uh, like I, I'm pretty sure none of your weapons come with you, so you're you're sort of starting from scratch again, and sometimes that that seems like it's uh, an impossible play to st- uh, start this game from. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you're you're on this garbage planet, and you find this robot guy who, uh, he's in a junkyard trying to put his ship back together. Uh, it doesn't take kindly to you being there. There was a fight that I actually, re- there's so much about this game that in playing it again, I was like, oh i remember how much i hated this as a kid or loved this as a kid and like the parts of it that i loved are still so vivid like it is fighting fighting a trash heap creature in a trash heap is so uh thematically interesting and and what you're doing there is so cool and then he just sort of falls over and he's like hey here is where boba fett is so you go to this other place uh this other world where boba fett uh is and this world is nothing but tight cliffs and platforming onto moving ships and it is just it sucks it just sucks in 3d it really sucks but at the midpoint of this episode of this of this uh, level you get the jetpack that we've mentioned and the jetpack turns this game into a completely different game you have this jetpack that has sort of like a limited uh, boost and you can sort of you're immediately supposed to use it to jump around a canyon and, and get to stuff but uh it, 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 is a, it is a gameplay design thing that uh, actively encourages you to break the game. And there are rewards for doing so because, uh, like, one of the next things that you run, like, it, it basically allows you to go look anywhere. And this was a time uh, where this was such a technologically jump into the future sort of thing that I remember being like, well, I just got to go look at absolutely everything. So I would play levels and just lose 100 lives as I was like, what if there's something at the bottom of this, like, canyon or something and oftentimes there is uh, because you go into this fight with Boba Fett and uh, you will not you will not survive this fight if you do not use your jetpack to uh, basically fall off the edge of the map where any other game before this you would have been dead and like slide to the bottom of this building uh way way far goddamn down there and that's where all the like w- uh cool ammo that you need is and the health packs and stuff to survive this big boss fight and then you use the rocket pack to fly back up and and fight the guy and it's just like if you don't know to to ignore the rules of basically what video games had been to this point and use this new tool to get around you can't you can't beat the game and it is still like so rewarding to even like look at the corners of the map now and be like I don't even remember was there something like up there I should just go check I just want to go check
1: just for me <laughs> yeah yeah and, and like if you don't have those seeker rockets like Boba Fett once you get to him in this canyon uh, you know he's he's vertical just like you are in terms of he's got the jetpack so he's going up and down all over the place this you know sort of 3D arena I guess with all these different like levels like tiers to it and um, yeah like so you've got to kind of keep up with like whatever elevation he's at and you've got like maybe 30 seconds of you know thruster that you can use on your jetpack before you sort of like have to fall and like recover and you know maybe get some health uh, from a health pack pickup or something like that and uh yeah i can't imagine something about the the design of like the boss fights in this that also
0: like um i don't know i i also grew up playing like the snes like empire and other movie tie-in games that are just uh they're they're side scroller adventure games that are goddamn nonsensical and are historic for how uh bad and hard they are uh but like they they take they also like explore the universe in a weird way uh but like there you would run into like vader or something as a boss and like it's just a bunch of hit points that you got to get through on something uh this game I feel like things like IG88 and and some of the bosses and stuff we'll get to, but especially uh, here with Boba Fett, uh, this is just a brutally hard fight, and it it is brutally hard in a way that matches the character in a way that translates this from Star Wars film into Star Wars game in such a powerful uh, and, and 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 emotionally like connected way because. Uh, The entire time you were fighting Boba Fett, he is just launching shit everywhere. It is just a barrage of stuff. And then he flies off somewhere and you cannot find him. And it is maddening. Uh, It is it is borderline scary. I remember as a kid, I was like, I don't want to do this fight again. Uh, And so it is such a for a character that is so underdeveloped in in the main line of Star Wars and, of course, outside of the films it's been everyone's obsession for years and the side movie for him just got canceled, I think, which sucks. Uh, but like this, this moment for him in the game is such a great moment in the history of the character because it really is like, Hey, do you want to know what it's like to go up against Boba vet? It is unpleasant. Uh, and this is why he has the reputation he has because he is this good at things.
1: (laughs) Yeah. and, And in the comic and things, they, they do kind of, Put the spotlight on Boba Fett's like struggle in this story. So like, um, you know the things with like IG88 in Empire Strikes Back. You see like this array of bounty hunters that like Vader is hired uh, to you know capture Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and things like that. And um, all these bounty hunters as soon as Boba Fett has Han Solo and Carbonite there, he's just got a target on his back and all these bounty hunters basically conspire against him and say, you know, we can, we can get Han Solo. We can take him to Jabba the Hut, you know, um, get that, like sweet, sweet reward money and also like do away with this, this guy who is the best of us, you know, he's our big competition, you know, he makes the rest of us look bad and, uh, and, Oh, interesting. You That's know, so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in shadows, of the empire, it's like, you know, it finally sells you on, on Boba's competence, you know, cause you almost don't really get to see a whole lot of him in the early films, right? Like, I mean, he's there and he, he does some badass moments, but, uh, you know, this is ultimately the guy who, um, you know, wasn't watching where he was going and bumped into Han Solo, and his jetpack activated against his will, and he fell into a giant mouth in the desert and got eaten. Right, like so. You know, uh, you know, Shadows of the Empire does a lot to suddenly convince you that Boba Fett is, you know, this badass Clint Eastwood in space that uh, the action figure always wanted us to believe he was. Right. <laughs> it is. It has always been very weird to me how much people that
0: have love that love boba fett love him so much especially like back in the day where i was like he's on screen for like a minute and then dies i don't understand <laughs> the fascination and it is a, like the, there's no better thing to point to it perhaps in the history of film about what an extended universe can do for a character because uh even me i'm, I'm now i'll see like a slave one like model ship and be like Maybe I should get that. Like, that's kind of cool. I'm like, why? Why do I think that? Like, I I guess I've I've sunk enough time into enough bullshit to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's cool to me now, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and he's sort of this historically sought after character that, uh, or action figure that that everybody wanted to get their hands on. You know, even before The Empire Strikes Back came out, because of like the the Star Wars holiday special had like this cartoon version of him and things like that, and so. Uh, there is a. I did not know that that was the case. That's insane really? to me. What? <laughs> yes. So there's this sort of like mythic, uh, you know, mojo to to Boba that that begins with his action figure and uh, how hard it was to get your hands on that action figure. And to this day, it's like one of the most valuable, you know, Star Wars collectibles that first edition Boba Fett. And uh, yeah, so so since then, you know, Lucas Licensing and things like that, and even today, you know, the comics. Uh, they really go out of their way to kind of justify that in retrospect that, you know, they mm-hmm. know that fans, like they love this guy, you know, even if there isn't like a whole lot there in like return of the Jedi to really <laughs> justify it, you know, but, but he has this mystique that, that, you know, they've continued to build up and, and even now, like the next star Wars thing over the horizon is, uh, this live action TV series called the Mandalorian because, you know, people just fell in love with this set of armor and, uh, you know they've they've always continued to build on that. Uh,
0: so what we have here is that you you go up against Boba Fett uh, in the game, uh, and uh, he escapes uh, after you, after you defeat him, which I always thought was bullshit. Like no, <laughs> I killed Boba Fett, give me that. Uh, and so uh, then uh, on Mos Eisley, there's a a bunch of uh, gang members on swoop bikes that are going to Luke's place. Uh, and ostensibly, if you don't stop all of them, they'll kill Luke. So this is yet another new type of game within this game, and you're you're basically on these these hover bikes, which is uh, it's it's basically the same gameplay as what Episode One Racer is, uh, except you're going through on this bike that that can get blown up, uh, and you're trying to knock other dudes off of their bikes, but you are in the tightest streets. Uh, filled with objects that you can hit at all times, and just, uh, and not only will it stop you like dead in your tracks, uh, sometimes it'll flip you around entirely, so you're going the wrong direction. And you have to try and race to catch up with all these guys and beat them, knock them over, and ex- explode them before they can get to Luke's. So there's a ticking clock and a set of controls <laughs> that don't really work, uh, but it is still like one of the most exciting parts of the game. And as a kid, I was just like, this is. Out of control. What am I doing on a hover bike now? Uh, And as an adult, I'm like, this is this is of everything in the game that like must have suffered due to the crunch time and and trying too many things. Nearly unplayable to me. And I'm like, I don't understand what's happening or or how this was ever really supposed to work. And certainly it doesn't need to be there for the story, because I'm pretty sure Luke Skywalker would would be okay with 12
1: bikers like it it doesn't seem that bad for him. Yeah, it's like six hell's angels against you know a Jedi who had just built his lightsaber. Right. Um, you know, so yeah, and and it's it's an interesting sequence to try to like not explode or not fall into like a pit or something like that. Um, but but it's basically like bumper cars with like a linear <laughs> like a linear racetrack, and you just kind of you know it's like a one lap race in a racing game. But your object is to to kill all the other racers. And it is it is
0: the what is so interesting to me about it now is that Mos Isley is is this big uh, labyrinthian sort of city. Uh, But for how narrative this is, uh, uh, how linear this is supposed to be, uh, there are a bunch of different paths that you can kind of take, but there's no like map to show you what's going on. So it's very easy to just go off somewhere else or get completely turned around or to lose all of the bikers. And to just wind up in some corner of the map somewhere, and you're like, well, they gave me too much freedom here, and now I'm, I'm going to lose because I don't know what's going on. Uh, it, it's, it, it, is, it is such good design in terms of, like, we've got to build something that's really interesting and compelling, and it is bad design because you'll have to restart because you got stuck in a corner.
1: Yeah. You just kind of pray that you find like the next biker that you have to kill, you know, like if it's a race, and exactly. If you place, fall behind,
0: you, know? you don't know where anyone's going.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. And there's a little rubber banding, I think like sort of like an arcade racing game where, you know, they slow down until you catch up a little bit, but, but it is such a big environment and there's like, you know, obstructions, like little, uh, you know, spaceship parts like lying in the middle of the road. So, so yeah, it's easy to get lost. And, and if you fail, you get like this, uh, lebo your droids like uh luke skywalker's signals missing you know he must be dead you know r.i.p uh so and then you had to start it all over it, and, and you brought up like
0: it, yeah there's there's all this debris everywhere and it's it is visually interesting and it is it is a, a bit of world building but it is also um like if you're imagining like a car chase in a movie, when the cars go through like the fruit cart and the fruit goes everywhere, imagine if instead of that, when they hit the fruit cart, they stop and and it takes them a few minutes to get back up to speed again <laughs> because the fruit cart is is an impenetrable wall. That is what a lot of this is. Like today you would be able to like blast through a lot of this garbage in this game. It just stops you dead in your tracks and you have to really get your momentum back up to catch up with somebody. Yeah,
1: it has sort of like a pinball machine vibe to the whole thing where you're just like, uh, you know, eventually you're going to bounce off some walls, um, you know, none of the environment is anything, but uh, yeah, just, you know, flat shapes um, in a lot of ways in this particular part of the game. So so then uh, Luke lets Dash know
0: that there's a secret Imperial supercomputer aboard an Imperial freighter uh, that has the uh, some construction plans that are ostensibly the construction plans for the Death Star 2 uh and so dash goes onto the ship and uh this section and the next sections are 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 all basically kind of get us back into uh the dark forces style of like you're just running through spaceships and killing a bunch of, of stormtroopers and stuff and uh every once in a while something really interesting happens like here there's there's a lot of stuff like there's machines that have like whirling fan blades and stuff which becomes sort of an issue uh, moving through the rest of the game Uh, but you you get a a computer and you get this stuff and uh your big uh your big bad at the end of this is a cargo droid in the cargo portion of the ship uh and it is wildly difficult to beat but also it, it feels so weird that like they went to this place to be like the, there will be nothing but iconic battles you're fighting ig88 and you're fighting boba fett and now you're gonna fight like a really mean forklift like a forklift that does not like that you are there uh and it just felt like such a weird departure from this but it's also one of those things that you get to do in star wars games is be like i don't know what if uh it's just a big robot
1: now uh let's 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 try that on for size yeah and in the pc version i don't know if you caught on to this but like in the n64 you know you didn't really have these cut scenes but but like we would see today in a lot of games but in the windows version there's all these like full motion like cinematics that uh you know look like something ilm helped them put together and uh you know they're very usually very like dramatic and, and are focused on like dash or luke skywalker and then the first time you see like the villain interact with the the main character he's like uh you know, like how dare you, Dash Rendar? Uh, you know, now fight my, you know, the, my guy on the ship who, uh, you know, is gonna, you, you know, he lifts cargo for a living or whatever. You know, you're gonna fight the, uh, the muscle and uh, and so so yeah yeah without without those without those cutscenes it's just
0: a, a robot that's there now so that's it is it is interesting to fill that back in with story. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and in the comic they kind of give like added context to this stuff. So like, like Shizor and Vader are kind of like vying for the Emperor's like affection because the Emperor believes that Vader failed him in The Empire Strikes Back by not like getting Luke and turning him to the dark side. So Shizor, being like this slimy, you know, organized crime guy that he is, is like, you know, this is my chance to move in on the action. and uh, Basically, he's he's uh, you know rented out like three hundred like shipping you know uh like freighters to the empire to move all this junk to endor to be you know yeah the parts for the the death star 2 and a lot of this story stuff is like really nowhere to be found in the game other than by you know fans kind of piecing it together
0: i i did read about that that element of his inspiration for for trying to get vader's job and look i don't know the most about star wars but what i do know is that Vader works uh, that that the Emperor chooses Vader because the Emperor is a religious fanatic and the idea of some slimy guy being like, "What if I'm just as good at killing? Maybe he'll give me the job." <laughs> I was like, no, no, he needs he needs somebody that's centrally focused on like a, a, a on a on a theme and a belief. Like, and if you're if your belief is that you don't have beliefs, that that job is never going to work out for you. Like, it just from a distance, it seems like a weird thing to be trying to to get that position.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's weird. Like this game came out two years before, um, the first prequel film. So, you know, we, we had this thing developing in the prequel trilogy where we find out that these guys are basically the Sith Lords, right? Like they're the, the evil Jedi. and, And like you said, like they're religious fanatics basically who, you know, their goal is to take over, you know, to gain power and take over the galaxy and, you know, get their revenge for some like ancient religious battle. Um and uh yeah, like we didn't maybe know that, uh, you know, when Shadows of the Empire came out. So it was sort of like, you know, Darth Vader, this like sorcerer with a lightsaber who can like choke people with his mind, like like he's gonna somehow be uh, you know, put out of a job by basically, you know, Don Corleone in space who, you know, Rufy's women with chemicals that he he squirts out of his body or whatever <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah that's it's odd um so we uh we're we're into the the final act here of of the game uh the evil dude has a place on coruscant uh, where uh and uh, he's got uh, the princess there uh so you head there and dash enters through uh, the underground sewer system to surprise attack, uh, and so there's just this brutal goddamn sewer level, which is full of weird traps and weird puzzles and a lot of underwater sequences where, you're as you mentioned before, your jetpack uh, works just as well underwater, uh, which you'll really need, uh, and all of this culminates in finding this giant underwater monster that has a bunch of eyes and and all these tentacles, and it's just one of the scariest weirdest things and it's also just so hard to do because you're trying to fire rockets but you're underwater like it's it's of of all the underwater like sewer levels in a game this one
1: is just really up there (laughs) yeah it's sort of like got a floor is lava mechanic right where if you or like too low for, for certain sequences. Like the, the Dianoga can kind of like just come up underneath you and kill you like pretty much instantly, I think, or, or like really quickly. And like for people who've seen the movies, basically this is uh, a giant version of the little tentacle monster that was in the trash compactor and like the original star Wars, it like grabs Luke by the leg with a tentacle and like pulls him down you know, just before the walls are, like, going to crush them. Uh, and so I guess they thought, like, oh, we'll just have, like, a gigantic behemoth version of that, uh, you know, in this in this sewer system. And it, it looks cool as hell, right? It looks sort of like a Zelda boss, like, with all these yes. these eyes and, and uh, tentacles that, that also look like eyes. And uh, each one has its own set of hit points, right? So instead of just being, like, a bullet sponge, you actually have, like several bullet sponges that you have to kill but uh yeah again the seeker rockets really saved my ass so uh
0: it's i had a note here that i wanted to mention earlier in the game and that is that uh sort of throughout everywhere you go there's always uh just little robots that are always fucking with you (laughs) there's always some sort of like uh little turret thing or, or something running around that just shoots at you and most of the time they're not things that are doing you any real damage, but there's just always this constant presence of of some sort of robot thing that is is really annoying and if you don't pay attention to, will absolutely kill you and and they just come out of nowhere and they're in almost every level of the game in some form. Uh, and it is uh, it, it is so interesting to me because i i I thought while playing it like this is good world building because there's always little robots running around everywhere, and of course, the Empire would have, you know, defense systems on on everything. But then uh, today I was like, you know what? It, it does feel like a little like they were like, we just got to have more stuff for you to shoot to make it feel like a video game. Uh, there's just got to be something to, there at all times.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like the Goombas in Mario or something like if you're if you're turning a corner like there's going to be, you know, there might be a Wampa. There might be one of those Viper droids, you know, like the probe droids that you see on Hoth just sort of floating there. Uh, they might you know chip away at you from like across the map. You might barely see them, but they're still like shooting you, and they might miss. But but like damn, you know, <laughs> they're gonna annoy you. So you just gotta like uh, pick them off one by one. But yeah, those little like R two D two style droids are funny. It's sort of like you uh you go into some ventilation shaft or something, and there's like a droid in there who knows why, and he's just gonna like shoot the shit out of you uh, upon sight. <laughs> Uh, so anyway,
0: we've got, uh, the plans are floating around, you've got the bad guy is mad at you, and you wind up, uh, flying onto the spaceship, you try to get all this stuff back, and you wind up fighting, uh, something called the Gladiator, uh, which is one of the, like, as a, like a childhood memory is, like, this is, like, the hardest boss fight in the world, and it, it maintains to be so, uh, it is a boss fight where once you defeat the boss... It actually takes on a new form where the robot just gets rid of like a lower part of its body and now it has a whole bunch of new different weapons and once you defeat that robot it's just a head flying around with a laser that can kill you uh and the room that you are in is a multi-leveled three dimensional maze uh where if you're if you fall off or like run around there's ammo to be found and there's places to hide and there's probably a strategy that's there too but also the robot can fly around and just shoot over anything. So it's a, it gets frustrating very quickly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So many of these boss fights, you just kind of like you shoot when you can. And then you kind of, because you have to move your camera when you also move your guy to sort of evade and not get killed. You know, you just sort of pray that you're not dead by the time that you, you sort of recover and and get a shot on him, Right. Uh, And there's, just so much so much like flying around and just like looking for cover that isn't necessarily there like the the environments are Uh very bare bones right like you don't have a lot of places to hide most of the time do you no uh and and from here we get to the end of the game
0: which you are back in your ship which you told me last night uh this is the same kind of ship as the Millennium Falcon, but it is not the same ship.
1: Yeah, so it's like another Corellian freighter, I guess. Like, So the Millennium Falcon is like the YT-1300, and then the Outrider is like the YT-2400. So ostensibly it's like the newer, shinier model of Corvette or whatever. And uh, yeah, so it's been seen in Star Wars here and there in the canon, but uh, you know, it's sort of remembered as part of this game's iconography for sure. Um I I did read that the uh, the Speeder bikes and and the Outrider
0: uh are then like uh in the special editions of of the original trilogy that get released like they added them into the background of some shot. So uh, canonically they're they're there in the movies now.
1: Yeah, I think in a new hope, you know, there's this new sort of establishing shot where it it pans through Mos Eisley, you know, after like Obi-Wan and Luke get there in the 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 land speeder and and you see all these like little alien creatures and droids that weren't there before. And, uh, yeah, like you see the Outrider like take off and fly into space or, or just another model like YT 2400, Mm -hmm. like the Outrider, you know, fly off in the distance. Um, and yeah, you see, you see guys on like the the swoop bike and things like that. Um, but it all happens very quickly and it's kind of one of those little Easter egg moments that, uh, I guess, people obsess over. Um, but uh, guys like us usually find out by, you know, looking it up on Wikipedia years later, right? <laughs> uh,
0: and so the, uh, you're in the Outrider and you're you're flying around and, and you're uh, the Skyhook, the big uh, evil Death Star sort of thing is here. And so you, you take on some fighters, you take on some turrets and stuff, and then uh, you have this culmination, which is, the culmination of of Return of the Jedi, but four times. Uh, so you have to fly into the center of the spaceship and fire uh, the torpedoes or whatever at the the core of 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 the spaceship, and then you have to fly back out and fly back in from another direction uh, to keep hitting them. So it becomes this very it is this very very long end game, which is a lot of you in in this difficult to control spaceship navigating through very tight corridors with lots of different blockages that if you hit them, it damages your ship. So you've got to be you have to go very slow and be very careful or really memorize the track to be able to get in there and get your four shots off to save the day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's very like Star Fox 64, where you're kind of like you have this narrow passageway that you have to somehow maneuver the spaceship through and then because the thing has, you know, 100% hit points or health or whatever, you know, each each side of this like blocky reactor core, you know, takes down 25%. It's uh I don't know, it feels it feels pretty good to play it, you know, today like uh, but but there's not a lot of like interactivity to it. Like you don't really after you fight off like all these uh, these Viper fighters or whatever, like the Black Sun fighter starfighters outside the the Skyhook, um, you then progress into that part where you're taking out the reactor, and everybody just kind of like leaves you alone, and so you just have to like not, right. not crash <laughs> your ship. But it's like uh, it does take a long time, and I guess there's turrets that you have to take out, like uh, sort of like in the Last Jedi when Poe you know takes on that giant you know, massive warship with his one lone fighter. You know, he starts by taking off the, the surface turrets or whatever. And, uh, that's basically what you do here. You take out like four of those things and then you're just free to like blow it to hell. But, uh,
0: yeah, yeah. There is a lot of stuff from this game that, that, like I, we've mentioned it throughout the episode that like the new episodes, I feel like, have details or at least like the germ of the idea had to have come from here because you don't see it anywhere else in, in star Wars. Yeah. There's
1: some really like beautiful nods in like the new Disney era films that like, you know, the story group might swear up and down that they're, you know, just something that the screenwriter came up with, but like the fans will look at and say, you know, uh, Jan Ors and Kyle Katarn stole the plans to the death star here. You've got Diego Luna playing a guy who, Sure, acts a lot like Kyle Katarn. You know, he sort of dresses like right. Kyle Katarn, and then Jin UrsO, whose name is very close to Jan Ors, and things like that. Where, um, you know, it's just a little bit too too similar to completely dismiss it as like an homage. And and yeah, I definitely see some stuff in uh, in Shadows that's the same way. So I,
0: again, the train sequence in here when I was watching Solo, and they're doing the same train sequence stuff, including like. Drones shooting at them while they're trying to do it. I was like, I've I've seen this and I know where I've seen this. And uh, yeah, at, at, like uh, back in the day, I really wanted this. Like a lot of people, I think they were like, make the movie of this or, or 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 something like that. And now it's like enough of the of the big parts of it have been picked off, or enough of the parts of the game that I really enjoyed were already in the movies. That there's nothing really to to take from here. Anyway, the game ends with uh, if you're playing it on easy. Your character is dead and it's just Luke and Leia uh, being like, dang, he's dead. And that's so <laughs> sad. And if you finish it on anything higher than medium, uh, you're still dead and they're still sad about it. And then it cuts to you and your ship flying away being like, yeah, it's better. It's good to be remembered as a martyr, which is such a dick move to be like, <laughs> well, those characters will always be sad about me because uh, I'm just not going to tell them I'm not dead. Uh, what a hero I am, I guess. Uh so that's, that's Shadow of the Empire. Uh, I guess the big question is, like, uh, now that we've replayed it now and that there's a re-release of it that you can get pretty easily,
1: uh, do you recommend people
0: play this game now?
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Like, I feel like there are many games that I would say, you know, no way, unless you're, like, really hardcore um, sort of digging into the history the way we're trying to do with this podcast, you know. I mean, there are certain games that just... Um, you know, are, are purely of academic interest. This one is pretty fun, provided you can handle sort of that that retro punishing style where, you know, to learn how to play the game, you just have to die a whole bunch and, and redo, like, long stretches of levels over again occasionally. But I think in the easy mode, uh, I certainly had fun with it. And, uh, you know, the boss fight's even though they're 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 crazy but but they're you know exciting and there's a feeling of satisfaction that comes with it and 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 with the john williams music and and the bits of story that are there it's it's definitely like it just stands as a a, an important experience that uh, if you think back to like the 90s and uh, star wars being what it was in the 90s you know this was like a really this is like a highlight that people remember fondly for a lot of good reasons and uh yeah, it, it it holds up as as a piece of game design that falls over itself occasionally, but like the ambition that's there is like like anybody can appreciate it. And uh, yeah, the vehicle sections are just uh, you know super interesting. I I think that there's a lot of uh, little nods to like two D gaming in there that they sort of like repurposed in a three D context. You know, like like there's some Galaga sections um, when you're sort of stationary, but in space and, uh, yeah, I, like I, I had a hell of a lot of fun, but, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that I didn't like die and get super frustrated along the way. (laughs)
0: Uh, and, and I, I, I think I'll second this, uh, this is, it was definitely fun to come back to and I'm, I'm trying to separate how much of it is nostalgia for me versus, uh, what it would be like to play this. By itself now, but the ambition is—is I think what sticks out and what keeps this alive and such an interesting game to talk about because it is five different video games in one, and they tried to do some stuff that people hadn't tried to do with Star Wars in an in an interactive medium to this point, and uh, I—it's—it's a lot of stuff, and uh, it's—it's—it is both held back by its technology, but also shaped by its technology in such a way that. it, it might it might not be as interesting if it was less broken. Uh, and there's so many. I It is just uh, it is every idea thrown at the wall. Once you get the jetpack, it's a different game in that way where you're just like, I'm going to check out every corner here. Uh, and uh, the way it treats its characters is interesting and good. Uh, it is so weird to me to hear that the date rapist element of the extended lore is in the book and comic book. That seems so goddamn out of place with the entirety of this but uh sure it is it is absolutely worth uh, a dive back in and i uh i really enjoyed it
1: yeah and so we'll be doing another one of these uh what in a month from now and uh visiting yeah, some other month. game and uh diving in and seeing what we think and uh
0: thank you guys for all checking out our our very first episode of this as we uh figure out what we're doing too. Uh, uh, i'm brock wilber uh i'm at brock wilber on twitter and everywhere else uh come find my stuff alex where can people find yeah, you i'm
1: on twitter as well mostly so at alex j kane with a k uh
0: rock and roll that has been x in it uh please subscribe leave us a comment let us know how you enjoy it uh tell a friend about it and we will uh, see you next month thank-, thank you so much for listening
1: thanks so much guys